Hello, and thank you for listening to this episode of the Night Sky Podcast. My name is Billy Newman. And I'm Marina Hansen. And this week, we're going to be talking about some of the sky watching events that are going on in the sky above us for the first and second week of August, which is really cool. It's already this far into the year, though. So strange. Yeah, we're moving through the summer pretty fast. Yeah, it seems like we've just been pushing through the summer really quickly. seems like just a few minutes ago, it was early May. You know? It does, yeah. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's been good, though. I'm really happy that uh, we're moving on in the year. There's some cool stuff coming up. There's some cool stuff that we got to see, though, too. And that, that's all kind of changing around a little bit. It's reconfiguring in the southern sky. And there's going to be some new stuff that we get to see. So we'll talk about that in a little bit, too. But I was thinking about it. It's like it's already into August. And do you, you've heard of it before, like the dog days of summer. We've yeah, talked about it a, a couple of times before. And uh, it's kind of interesting. I didn't, I didn't understand this for a long time. I just read it on, on an astronomy site and it kind of started to come together for me. I was like, oh, is that where, is that why it is? What, or, you know, what the deal is with that. But when we, when you think about it, so, and this is something I didn't understand. We had the dog days of summer. I always just thought it was, uh, you, were, you were hot as a dog or tired as a dog. That's about what because I you were in the heat of the summer at that time. That's what I had figured. I, I didn't really think about it much more deeply. But when I started understanding it more is at the end of July, the beginning of August and up into September, these dog days of summer is supposed to be when Sirius, the dog star that we know about in the winter sky, now in the summer sky, six months later, is right in line with the sun when it's rising so it's, you know, it's, it's, there's the sun and then south of the sun, if you could see through the blue sky, you would see Sirius below that. And so it was thought at the time that when Sirius and the sun rose together at the same time, Sirius being the brightest star that we could see in the sky, it, it was thought that it would add a few degrees of heat to the earth. It would, it would be, they thought it was closer or more relevant or, you know, it would add to the weather or something, but they thought that, yeah, when, when Sirius rose, it was extra energy extra heat from another star coming in to push up our temperature and the weather um, for, for the next few weeks until they separate it again. I that's, think it's kind of a funny old tradition. Yeah, that is funny. That's a, that's a cool explanation for it. I didn't know that that's what it meant. I just thought, yeah, kind of how you explained it. I just thought it was yeah. a cute little phrase. Yeah, about, just like, some, some turn of phrase. Like a dog or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, that's what I thought too. But I thought it was kind of cool to to learn a little bit about that. But it, and it was it's just funny too the way that that story goes. But I've heard dog days of summer all my life. Yeah. Um, and I guess it goes way back. I think it goes back to Egypt too, where they had they had some understanding of um, of Sirius or the the dog star and the synchronization of Sirius and the sun at the same time was also an indicator of the floods of the Nile for their their, oh. their rainy season and their dry season that they would have since they're an equatorial oh, location sure. and their their seasons are a little bit different. So their understanding of the way that a year passes is a bit different. It's in two seasons as opposed to four that our cultures sort of build off of. Yeah. They have that that wet and dry season, but everything's hot. It's just wet and dry. <laughs> and I think, yeah, there was a, uh, the idea was that it coincided with the flooding of the Nile in the spring, if I, or, or at, in the, the end of the summer, something like that. It's really interesting, though, how that goes. Yeah. So I don't know. There's a few different historical connections that it has that I wish I understood better. We should read, we should get like a few anthro astronomy books that'd be cool that'd be really interesting or ethno astronomy whatever they were yeah but i want to learn more about like the babylonian astronomy and the egyptian astronomy or just just different generations of how it went from babylonian to i think greek to roman to arabic 
Right. I don't know then what happened. I think that's where a lot of stuff got lost for a long time. But that's where a lot of our names come from. Yeah, so like our last known name comes from there, but seems to also come from Babylon. And so, I don't know. So that's all strange. But like all the, the A names, we get like Alniat or Deshuba or Antares. Those are all stars in Scorpio. And those are all, those are all Arabic words. Miser, Alcor, uh, Arcturus is, a, a, is an Arabic word. Betelgeuse, Bootes, all those are like, elements of the Arabic language. But then when we get to the planets, those are Roman words. Right. And super strange. It is strange that that's how it is. Or Latin words, right? But from Rome. Yeah. The Roman gods and descendants of words that were in Latin. But that's where like Spanish gets its days of the week. There's a lot of weird similar connections of history and the planets and and, uh, the way that the language kind of moved around. So it's just kind of interesting learning about it, but I want to learn more about it. That was a fun, yeah, I liked the stuff that we talked about in the podcast previously that was more about, or that was about the cultural impacts of certain elements of sky watching. I really appreciate that stuff. I think it's really interesting when you start to learn more about it. It's It's just really fascinating stuff. Yeah, definitely. I think it'd be cool to get some books. Yeah, I think it's cool, and uh, and just understanding more about the dog star Sirius, and some of some of the effects that it, or some of the implications that it has on the year, some of the phrases and the words that we use. It's just interesting to have some more of that context. So it's kind of cool. Other than that, other things going on. It's really neat that uh, we've been watching Mars for this whole year. Really, we've been trying to keep an eye on what Mars is doing and the changes that it's making in the evening sky. And what we're noticing right now is that after. Mars started its retrograde, moved back into Libra, and then started prograde motion at the beginning of July. It's been moving now for about a month, and it's returned like you see in the evening sky, like what you were looking at, um, that Mars has returned to the front edge, that head of Scorpio in the southern sky right now. And it's really cool. It's getting a lot closer to uh, to Saturn there, and it, through this week, we're going to see a lot of changes of, of Mars's location and it coming up to Saturn. We're going to have a little bit of a conjunction. Or is that a conjunction? It's not a syzygy. I'm not sure what it is, but it's going to be a lineup of Saturn and then Mars and then Antares. And I think that's uh, later this week or, or, I don't know, in about a week, next two weeks or so, we're going to see it. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. So right now, so this is a cool thing. So right now, I think tonight, it's going to be just outside of Scorpio. And then over the next few nights on August 8th, the evening of the 8th, what I understand is that the Shuba, one of the stars in the head of Scorpio is going to be right next to Mars. They're going to be really close together. And then Mars the next night is going to be moving past that. So that might be a good time to get a little bit of a visual measure of how much the planet is moving in prograde motion each evening. And it's weird how it's variable too. Like we talked about a little bit before, like when it was really close to its its prograde, its turn, as it kind of made that turn from retrograde to prograde, it sort of did the same thing that it would if you threw a ball up in the air and it kind of succumbed to gravity as it slowed down from its upward force that you threw into it. It would slow down to almost zero speed and then start accelerating again back down toward the Earth. It sort of does a similar type of motion when we look at uh, when we look at the planet Mars when it kind of comes into retrograde it speeds up a lot and then slows down almost like to a whole stop to a stop and then reverses its motion and falls back down prograde so that's what we're seeing now is it's speeding up a little bit so it seems like the prograde motion the progression that the planet makes each night toward 
Scorpio or further east in the sky along the ecliptic is moving up in speed just a little bit and just a little bit and just a little bit further. So it's getting more and more and then it'll kind of average out at a point really pretty soon to, uh, to what it looks like right now too. I think, uh, but yeah, it'll be cool to see what it does over the next couple of days. Yeah, it's been really cool watching Mars move around this year. It'll be neat to see it right up next to Deshiba. Yeah, I think that looking at it um, when it's up next to Deshiba would be really cool. We should pull the telescope out for that. Yeah. Or at least the binoculars. It'd be cool. We'll, kind of, we'll spy in on it a little bit. And then in a few days, it's going to be cool when we get all three of those bright objects lined up in the sky there. So we'll have Antares and then Mars and then Saturn right there. And Antares is kind of interesting. The name Antares even means anti-Mars. Oh, that's in its name, and that's that. an, and that's an Arabic word too. But um, it was or like false Mars was sort of the idea because it was so red, oh, and sure. because it's along the ecliptic there. Like what we're going to see in a few days is Mars, this red planet, just a few degrees up from from Antares in the evening sky. And there's probably still more latitude or more flexibility that uh, that Mars could have along the ecliptic. Like if we remember a few months ago, before Mars dropped into retrograde motion, it was above Saturn in the sky. And then now what we see is that it's dropped back at like a diagonal, almost zigzagging. If we were to speed up its shape, we see it drop back in retrograde motion and then drop forward again. And it kind of leans down in the sky along the ecliptic while it does that. So this, the background stars at least seem to shift in position against where it was previously when it was in that constellation. It's not an exact precise line of the ecliptic. And that's really peculiar movements of the stars and the planets. And and us to it. I think I should stuff. I don't understand at all. Yeah. It's really interesting seeing it move like that. Yeah. It's really cool. So, uh, I think it's going to be like, uh, just after the Perseid meteor shower, we're going to start to see that lineup that we were talking about of, uh, of all three of those, um, or of the, the two planets and the star, which is, will be pretty cool. And speaking of the Perseids, which is talk about the Perseids. We talked about the last couple podcasts. We've seen a few things, which is really cool. So we got to um, we got to see a few of the Delta Aquarians this last week as they were passing through. I think we saw a handful of good shooting stars from that. Yeah, and that, definitely. And that fireball. You yeah, want to talk about fireball. that? Fireball, yeah. I we got, saw a fireball. It was cool. We, I think we were just talking. We were just about talking it. about on that last episode. Last episode, I've never seen a fireball before, but that's not true anymore. This last weekend, we saw a fireball, and it was so cool. I had no idea how different they were. Yeah, from it's, shooting it's stars. Significantly it's like, different. It looks. It's like lightning. Yeah. It's so bright. It's this huge flash of light that, that was a really good one too, fills really. the sky. Yeah. yeah. It, it must have been. It was so bright, and it had like a greenish color. It was a green color. Yeah, that green flash as it burned up. Yeah, it was super cool. It was awesome getting to be out there. We were uh, at the um, Pine Mountain Observatory. Yeah. Out in, yeah. Uh, Kind of like Central Oregon. Yeah, it's, it's like, like a outside Central of Oregon Observatory out there. Yeah. It's a really, it's a cool spot. It's a good location. I think it's about 6,500 feet above sea level out there. It is a good spot. It's yeah. nice and high and it's really outside of city lights. Yeah, well. it's it's east of the city bend. You can look up and see the, the city establishment since you're so high. You can you can see out to, to Bend yeah, and Redmond and Madras up there. Really beautiful view of the mountains too, the cascades from that spot. Like when we looked back up and you could see that draw from where we were on Pine Mountain up to Mount Hood way in the distance. Right. As we could see that. And then over to Jefferson and then Three Finger Jack 
and then Mount Washington, North Sister, Middle Sister, South Sister. It was really cool. You could just see the, the whole lineup of the Cascades. It was a really there. cool view from up there. It was it was really neat getting to see all the mountains lined up from higher up like that. Yeah, and I like that a lot. I don't think I've gotten to see them that way before. Yeah. It's cool kind of understanding how they're lined up a little bit more. Oh, yeah. That was really cool. Yeah, it's fun when you get to kind of sit back a little bit and see everything in the yeah. lineup all at the same time. That really helped me out when I was younger, kind of geographically orient like oh so that's like how it's all shaped yeah it's so strange but it was really cool though i'm glad we got to, to go up to the spot the pine mountain observatory is pretty cool and yeah getting to see these uh these shooting stars part of the delta aquarius maybe some of the early ramp up to the perseids yeah it could have been and uh and then yeah the, this fireball that was really cool it, it was, was green so cool. colored and what i remember way back from like high school astronomy classes that that um, that could be like a, and I think I mentioned in the last podcast, it could be a copper based right. object and that's, that's burning where it gets up. the green color from. I think that's where it gets the green color from is that, is that the copper elements ionize the green as, uh, as it gets burned up. So it just burns a green color. It's really cool though. It was really fun to see. I've seen like a couple of red ones and yellow ones before, but that was probably one of the, the brightest ones for as dark as the sky was. I was, I had my it back was. to it and all of a sudden I saw a green flickering in the sky like yeah. if someone shot up a bright firework in the sky behind me or something. But there was like a green flickering on everything around me. And I turned around to look up to it in the sky and I saw it zip by and then burn out. Yeah. And you're just like, wow, no way. That's huge. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's about how I saw it too. It was, I wasn't facing it when it first lit up and I thought it was lightning. Because it was just this huge yeah. bright flash of light and I turned around and it was an object yeah so no way. not lightning yeah that was really cool it was very fun to see and that's a cool thing about getting your observation hours in you get to see more things like that yeah you know it's like every time we go I, out we see something yeah <laughs> it's pretty cool yeah so you see something you see more satellites or like kind of oh hey look, look at that there's a space station or there's these satellites or look at this little maneuver that something's doing it's always really cool you get to see more stuff you get to see shooting stars or cool fireballs like we didn't see a fireball last week but now you did <laughs> yeah and it's cool. I like that part about getting more time in when you get to I go really and look do. out at the sky. That's a cool part about just getting your hours in of sky watching and viewing the night sky. And this was a good spot for it up at this uh, observatory. Um, especially, I think, well, for, for the Delta Aquarius, it was cool seeing those shooting stars, that it fireball. Was. And then kind of looking forward as the news section of the podcast goes, the Perseids are coming up. And I'm really excited for the Perseids. We're going to probably do maybe another episode on the Perseids. I'm yeah. not sure what we should do. It seems like a significant. We'll do it next week. It's, it's enough. <laughs> it's a big enough thing, a big enough topic. We should look into it, do a little special. That'd be cool. Special on the Perseids. Ooh. Uh, but yeah, the, the night of the, well, so this year it's peaking, I guess. It's going to be coming in. <laughs> it's going to be coming in really strong. It's something about the orbit of Jupiter is what I found out today that uh, every 12 years, the orbit of Jupiter kind of swings past this section and its gravity affects some of the material that would be coming into the meteor shower that uh, would eventually affect the Earth because the meteor shower is, is really just debris, material left behind this path of a comet right. that, uh, that goes through this section of the sky that we're going to be passing through. So it's, it's interesting how that goes. Uh, it'll be coming out of the constellation of Perseus, which will be rising after midnight in the evening sky. Really, you want to be out from like 1 a.m. to when it's happening most, like 3, 4, and 5. Well, I don't know, 3 and 4 a.m. is what I understand on the 11th 
and 12th. I think it's the... I think that's the peak time. Yeah, end of the 11th day, morning of the 12th. Those hours, I think, is when it's going to be peaking. But they say that on the 10th, 11th, I think it's going to be coming in really quite strong too. So there, there could be a, a whole set of days around there. But this year, yeah, it's supposed to be stronger. That's cool. Because yeah, I've heard that too. Whatever, whatever is happening with Jupiter, I guess is why. <laughs> It'll be neat to see. I think uh, Swift Tuttle is the name of the comet oh, yeah. that the Perseids and New Showers from. Yeah. Swift Tuttle. The Swift Tuttle. <laughs> yeah. You know, do you know where they na those names come from? I don't. It also has, I didn't write it down. I can't remember what it is. It also has another name that's a few letters and some numbers. I remember, see, yeah, there's a classification number, like a like a, a scientific registry. That's where that uh -huh. the names and numbers is going to come in. Like when we look at galaxies and it's M61, it's yeah. that. But it's also named something. And it's also named often. And this is what we're seeing by Swift Tuttle, a not very whimsical name for such a cool thing yeah. that is so timeless and beautiful that we see in the night sky. Don't misunderstand. And I know you don't. But that the Perseid meteor shower is a much older event than this realization that there's a comet that generates the material that we see happen for the Perseid meteor shower. Right. This comet, probably recently found in the, in the 19th, 20th century, I'm sure 20th century now, um, is named for scientist Dr. Swift and Dr. Tuttle. That's oh, what it ends right. up being. Okay. Like, that do you remember sense. back in the 90s? You were a little kid. So little. But uh, there was Comet Hale-Bob. I do remember Hale-Bob. And that's scientist Dr. Hale and Dr. Bob. And that's where, yeah. <laughs> and so these co-discoverers both get name credit for the object that they've identified in the sky. And that's where the name comes to. That makes the name a lot more interesting, actually, than if you don't yeah. know that that's why they're named, which I didn't realize. I'm pretty sure. Named. That makes sense. I'm, I'm making it. I mean, I'm not making it up, but I'm, uh, that's how I understand that they classify yeah. these names. And when I see something like that, Swift Tuttle, which just sounds like... Yeah. How do you come up with that? Yeah, yeah. you don't come up with it. It's yeah, just, it being someone's name makes The sense. name of a dude who wanted his name on a comet. And, uh, like you did. I'd want to do it too, yeah. We got to find a comet, Rena. I'm in. The Marina Billy Comet. What's the name? But the Perseid meteor shower, that's a much older event. You know, it's been known for a long time. And, and sure. we just thought it thought of it as a Perseid meteor shower, which we should look into the history and, you know, sort of what people thought of shooting stars, that sort of thing. You know, there's a lot of other meteor showers too that are really interesting. If we were in other parts of the world, I bet our exposure to these other meteor showers would be I don't know, different, a little bit different. In the Northwest here or in the, the Northern Hemisphere in America and Europe, the Perseids are really the one that we connect to the most because they happen in this really good time of the year. In August, end of July, August, we really have just warm nights, bright, um, clear skies. But in other times of the year for us, like I think there's, the, uh, there's a handful that come around in November, like the Leonids. Those are supposed to be really cool oh, yeah. too, but we don't often get to see those because they're in November and we just can't can't see that stuff. Yeah. So maybe if we were in another part of the world and we saw the Leonids come about in a period of time when you know, we had great weather, it'd be like, oh wow, look at all that stuff coming through. How interesting, how, how cool is that? So I think that there was like a better understanding in, in different sections. Maybe if you live like closer to the equator, you saw different things. But it's cool. It's, it's cool how it's ramping up. So right now, if I understand right, it's ramping up even right now at the beginning of August. And since this year is supposed to be a stronger wave of, uh, of a meteor shower, um, it, it'll start being probably, I mean, what, the 5th, the 6th, 
I'm sure by the sixth, seventh, eighth, it's really going to be starting to ramp up. Like we saw even a, a week ago, we could, we were still making out handfuls of different shooting stars coming out. Yeah. Yeah. We've been seeing shooting stars for a while now. Yeah. This is a good section of the year. The end, end of July through, through mid August, that whole month is, is really probably the, the densest period of the year because of these two meteor showers that are almost coexisting at the same time. Um, because there's a happening at the same time, you just get a pretty prolonged period of time where you get more meteor showers coming through the night sky. And it's fun. It's cool. I really like, uh, you know, getting to spot some good ones. There's some really, there's the quick, the little ones, which are fun. They keep you going. They keep you into it, but it's a tough thing. It's kind of like, like soccer or something where not much happens for a long time. And then, <laughs> and then there's a goal, then there's something cool. Then there's an exciting thing. And that just keeps you in it long enough to stay in it until the next time. But the best thing about the Perseids, it's supposed to be a hundred an hour. They say, they say it's this tough. year, if it's peaking, like they over always, or they always overestimate, uh, they say it's going to be up to 200 meteors an hour that's what i was seeing man that'd be so cool what a good year for the perseids we got to go to a good spot that's yeah. why i think we decided i really want to this uh this last weekend that we were at pine mountain observatory and we were out there it was really cool because you just get to see way more the sky was a lot darker we were higher it was up. much darker yeah we had a and good I night for it too. yeah no it was moon. a really good night for it yeah no moon sky was really clear and we saw a ton. Yeah, there were a lot of shooting stars. I think that there were like 16 that I counted when I was wow. like paying attention. That's so cool. Yeah, and there were some, there were a lot of them were those like little short ones like you were just talking about where there's just a little burst of light for a second. But there were a few yeah. of them that were really long trails. So it was pretty cool to see. I think there were like three of them. That's so cool. Yeah. And really, a fireball. Yeah, that fireball. That's a lot of stuff to see tonight. I'm glad we saw that. Yeah, that was really yeah, fun to, so, get to see after we had talked about it just before, like how it's oh, different. Oh, yeah, I thought that yeah. was so cool how I, was, I, hadn't, I had never seen anything like that before. We were just talking about it, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> a yeah. super bright one. It was pretty intense. Yeah, it was It was really it was. a good one to, to get to observe. It was almost. It was cool. Yeah, they're they're very different. They're like, they're they are. really I can't imagine. Too. I can't imagine what it would be like to see to be the first person to see something like that oh, sure, in your area yeah. like you think something big's gonna happen yeah just like oh my gosh yikes <laughs> there's fire in the sky what's happening yeah yeah but it would be a sign of a prophecy probably yeah. something pretty intensive <laughs> if i said something like that i'd i'd believe something was happening yeah if i didn't know about fireballs or yeah. and then there was just one right above me all yeah. of a sudden on a dark night yeah it's a, I think something was going on. Yeah, pretty intense view. But it was cool. It was really fun to get to to see that one. We got to look out for more stuff the, uh, yeah. this next week and weekend. Yeah, I think it's going to be some good stuff to see. I think so. And yeah, I was thinking we should get out somewhere good, somewhere yeah. dark, somewhere high. Yeah, we'll, we'll head as far east as we can so that we get that, that good section over the Cascade Mountains. It's all dark. That's what I'm going to try and go for, but just dark northeastern view of the sky i'm sure we can find some cool spot out to, uh, up off like highway 126 we'll yeah. go up in the mountains in the truck somewhere camp out for the night i want to do we, so yeah i want to do more astrophotography with you and we've been really getting into it the last like two weeks or so we did like a couple little outings and yeah. then like at the observatory we did a lot of cool stuff too i'm really glad that we started doing that more we brought like a, a wide angle lens to shoot at about 10 millimeters or so and uh, it worked it worked really well but like we had been talking about a few times for our astrophotography projects is that there's that ratio you need to hold to um so that the what you what you want is a really wide angle lens so that you don't get that 
rotation of the earth, that drag effect that causes star trails to show up in your photograph. And what that allows you to do is leave that lens, or excuse me, leave the shutter open um, for upward of 20, 25, 30 seconds and capture as much light as possible, but still get a crisp image when you come out of it. And so we're working on it still. There's a lot of other people that have a ton of experience in it, but it's fun for us to start uh, kind of getting into more and more and, and trying it with this wide angle lens. It's really cool. I haven't shot anything at uh, 10 millimeters. That was fun. I think it worked pretty well for you too. Uh, I really like the photos that you got. Some of those vertical shots of the Milky Way. I'm really excited about Really that. beautiful. Yeah, it like stretches up from the horizon line where you see Scorpio and Sagittarius and you see that bright section of the galactic center where there's a lot, there's a lot of structure. That's what I noticed. There's like is. bright on either side and then there's dark. And, yeah, you see those dark that, pieces. That is a really cool part of getting these photos is getting to see all of that depth that you can't really pick up with your eyes in yeah. the same way. Yeah. And yeah, it's really cool seeing there are, there are those dark sections through there too. Yeah, it's interesting. When I was learning, when I was a kid, I think my dad had explained this to me that uh, those dark sections, we think of that as s something where, there, where there's no stars. Like, oh, that must be a gap in that field of, of really bright stars. What it is, is just dark material in between us and that really bright background of the galaxy. Oh. It's dark, it's dark material, yeah. Oh, so it's like so dust, it's dust in space that's just black. Whoa, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's, so interesting. that's an interesting thing where not everything's illuminated in the sky. Right. So that's just dark material that's out in space that's blocking our view of the light from, that's more clear, more crisp behind that. Wow. Yeah, it's really How fascinating. Cool. Yeah, Very so that, that Milky Way is all stars and it's really bright even further back there. And especially when we look to the galactic center, when we look at um, what we were noticing when we were out there and what's really cool about being up really high in elevation and in a dark sky. And I hope everybody gets a chance to do this if they're doing the sky watching stuff, but you can see this puff of smoke off the, off the teapot of Sagittarius. I like that way yeah. of it being described. It's kind of fun. But there's a section, this little patch, and you have to almost use your side vision. I know you saw it uh, when we were up there. You almost have to use your side vision to catch it. But it's this little bright, fuzzy spot up from the teapot of Sagittarius. And it's probably like a sixth and or seventh magnitude level of light in that patch. And that's why it's so tough for us to almost see. But if you notice in those photographs that we made, those long exposures of the Milky Way through that section, the brightest section of the Milky Way is right there in that patch. Right. And it's so interesting because that brightest thing is what our eye can pick up just yeah. barely. But through this, through this process of leaving the shutter open for a long time, we're able to pull in more light with this wide angle and we're able to pick up all of this interesting detail that's probably in the eighth, ninth magnitude area of the Milky Way. That's really it's fun. really cool. Yeah, I've, I've had a lot of fun doing this. And it's a good way to kind of look at the astronomy stuff that you're learning about too. You can kind of like get a picture of it and you sort of can go through and spot stuff again. It's very difficult though. When you when you shrink the sky down, you shrink a really wide angle of the sky oh, down yeah. to a computer screen, you go, I can't make out any of this. And then you look in Scorpio's the size of your thumbnail or something. Right. The the screen, you go, oh, oh man, my scale is way off. That's nuts. But it's so cool though. I really like getting to do this stuff and, and getting to do it up there. Uh, on top of the Pound, uh, Pine Mountain Observatory. That was cool. It was very cool. Yeah, there's some good stuff for the, the northeastern sky too. I really like that. When we, when we pointed over to the northeastern sky, I took some photographs over there. And there's a lot that I know about that section of the sky. But what was great about doing this is uh, when we looked at it again, and when we were up there, it was great because there's some people to point some other things out to us. And 
I don't know if you and I had spotted it before. This is one of the darker skies that we've been in, so it's been easier to observe. But uh, they they pulled the telescope around to point at the Andromeda galaxy. Yeah. And it was really cool. And you could see it this night, too. Most of the time, in most light conditions that people are in, even in dark skies, like when I was a kid, it was too bright to really make out the Andromeda galaxy. And what was really cool is that it was so dark that you could um, you could really just make out the fuzzy point, the fuzzy speck of light at that section where the Andromeda galaxy was. And you could just see it. Oh, wow. It's right there. That's the, that's the mark that people knew is the Andromeda Nebula and the constellation Andromeda. And then later after Hubble uh, sort of discovered that it was actually a new whole thing called a galaxy, it was called the Andromeda galaxy. And it's really cool just getting to look up into the sky and see it there, see it like others would have seen it before in the past. I thought that was really cool. Um, but did you get a chance to see it? Yeah, I got to look at it in the telescope, and I also was checking it out without the telescope. Yeah. And it's really cool. Yeah, it's just kind of smudge. That a little you can smudge. See a little, a little tan smudge. Smudge. Yeah. It's, I think that I read that it's the furthest away thing that we can make out with our eye. Yeah, I, I'm sure that it is. What is it? Like two, 2.3 million light million years? Million light years away. Yeah. That's a really interesting thing. 2.3 million light years away and we're able to see it. It's so fascinating that it's that far. That's a trippy thing too, is that if we think about that, the light that we're observing, even with our naked eye or through the telescope, when we, when we see that light, that's time that existed 2 million years ago before the human species was really even developed at all. And that's a time in that galaxy before humans even existed that we're getting to observe now. And it's the, the closest galaxy to right. ours. So there's all that empty space in between. How fascinating is that? It's really cool to get to observe. Very, very cool to observe. Yeah. It's cool getting to check it out with a telescope too. Still just kind of a smudge a little in smudge. the telescope too, oh, yeah. but it's cool getting to see it oh, yeah. that way too. <laughs> yeah, it was really cool getting to see that, uh, that little smudge of stuff though. Um, and then the other thing, so we saw that through a 10-inch telescope. Yeah, uh, a 10-inch Dobsonian-style telescope that was set up there. And we got to see a few other things through that telescope. We pointed it to the southern sky, looked at Saturn. That was really fun. Yeah, that was so cool. It was really fun looking at Saturn. We've been looking at it with our tiny telescope. Yeah. And uh, you can make out the rings on it yeah. with our telescope. Yeah. But I couldn't see the moons at all the times that we right. tried it. But with this telescope, we could I yeah. see a few of the moons. It was really it was cool running. to see a couple of the moons floating over. And you can make out just the you know the, the visual size of Saturn, the shape of the rings, the color of it. You can just see that so much better with this. And then you can see that we could see three, maybe four little moons floating around it. Um, but I'm, people weren't sure at the time which, which moons were which on that. When we looked at Jupiter, we did know what we could see. I think it was, it was Callisto, Ganymede, and Europa. And then Io was wrapped somewhere in the shadow or behind Jupiter at right. the time that we were observing it. But it was really cool. You could see those equatorial bands, those red bands yeah. that cut across. You could see those really well. And it, it almost looked like, uh, I don't know. You know, you always overestimate. But when I looked into the telescope, it looked like a, you know, a good-sized thing. It was yeah. cool. It was really cool getting to see it in that bigger telescope. It was really cool. Oh, yeah. So that's what, I should, what we should say. So we were looking at the, you know, the, the high-end uh, at-home astronomy kits for, uh, for sky watching, those 10-inch Dobsonian telescopes. But we're out at this observatory. And what they have in the big dome that, you know, the big white astronomy 
observatory dome was a 24-inch telescope, and that was really powerful. Could collect a lot of light, and it was electronically controlled on this arm that uh, that a guy. Um, that was volunteering there was running that evening. And so when we first showed up, it was pointed up at Jupiter where we could uh, take these really cool observations of Jupiter. You wait in line for a long time. You risk sharing some kind of eye-born skin-to-skin <laughs> infection that's transferred from little kids to everybody else there that looks through this telescope. And uh, you look through, scan through it, and you see a big, a big ball, a big sphere out there that's Jupiter that you know is this other planet super far away from us way out there well how many how many astronauts it's like 7.5 au's away from us or out from the sun shoot i'm not sure i think it's 7.5 au i could be wrong whatever but jupiter way out there and you see these little moons flying around it too it was really cool to see through that through that really big telescope i thought that was a fun thing to observe and Okay. Uh, I was just going to say it was really cool. I've never gotten to use a telescope that big before. Yeah, neither have I. Yeah, that was a really uh, a really impressive one to get to look through. There's a lot of other things I'm sure I really would like to look at through that telescope. I, I hear they were saying in, um, in September, that last weekend that they're open, they stay up super late. They stay up as late as they can out to like 3, 3.30 in the morning with those telescopes running so that Orion rises up into the sky high enough for them to observe the Orion Nebula. Apparently that's really cool oh. through one of those more powerful telescopes. That would be cool to check out. Yeah, I think it'd be really fun. I think it's a, um, you know, there's Orion's belt and then and then down from that. I think it's in a sword, if I understand right. Oh, that's cool. Something like that. There's, there's a handful of really cool uh, things to observe out there. It'd be fun to go again. There, you know, it's a it's an astronomy crowd or... Uh, it's a mixed crowd. There's like there's like kids, you know, and then there's there's people that uh, do research, and it blends. But it was really fun. It was cool to get to to go do and uh, and learning more about that stuff. Working with those uh, those more high power telescopes was really fun. The other thing that we saw, like we saw the Andromeda Galaxy, um, we also looked at the Whirlpool Galaxy when they sighted that in, and that was interesting to see. I've seen pictures of it before. You know, like, you know, just illustrations of it. I've known where it was, but I didn't have any tools to get to make better observations of it. But it was really cool to see the other day. We started first with the, that Dobsonian 10-inch telescope. We sighted that into it. And that was my first sighting of it. And it was those, those two galaxies. We see the Whirlpool galaxy. And then you saw that smaller section off to the side of it that's being consumed into the larger galaxy. Isn't that interesting? It is really interesting. I didn't look at it in the small telescope. Oh, yeah. I looked yeah. at it again later when they had it sighted in with that big telescope again. Yeah, that's that's what I mean to talk, or that we saw it through, this, or that I saw it through the small one, but um, your sighting of it, though, you saw that big section, or that there's the two sections. It's a cool galaxy because we see it, it's a spiral galaxy, whereas I don't know if the Andromeda galaxy is a spiral. No, I'm not sure. I think that it might be... Oh, I forget the name. It's more like a cluster. I, I can't remember. But uh, but it, its shape doesn't seem quite like it. But uh, but looking at the Whirlpool Galaxy, you see it kind of flat on. What we often see maybe is like a disk, like as we look kind of uh, sideways at the at the side of the galaxy. So we just see a slice of it. In this situation, it's oriented so that it's faced flat toward us almost, so that we see the whole circle of the galaxy. And what we're able to make out through this is the uh, is the rings. And with that big telescope or not the rings, but the spirals of the galaxy. And with that big telescope, we could really make those observations, which was cool. You could see those blue rings sort of spiraling out from the center of that galaxy. Yeah, it was really cool. It's like a pinwheel shape. 
Yeah, it, it was, was neat cool. getting to see it like that. Yeah, and then you can see that other chunk, that second galaxy off to yeah, the side of it that's being it. pulled into it over time, over millions of years. And that that's the other thing too. How far away was the whirlpool? Did you write I'm that not down? Sure. It was twenty four million light years away. Wow. Yeah. So that so there's the two million light years away that the Andromeda galaxy is, and now twenty four million light years away, twenty two million light years further than Andromeda. There's the Whirlpool galaxy out there, which is another near galaxy to us, another easily observable galaxy. And that light is 24 million years old. That's almost back to dinosaurs, Maria. Whoa. Whoa. That's way back. So it's really interesting to think of like, wow, how fascinating is that? We're finally seeing this light coming in of this whole other galaxy 24 million years ago where there's dinosaurs on one of those planets out there that we're looking at <laughs> in that galaxy. Ah, how nuts. But it was really cool. It was fun to see. And uh, it, was, it was good getting to observe that through, uh, through a big telescope. It's really very different when you get to look at it yourself through the real light that's happening. That is a planet. That is another galaxy that you're getting to see. Yeah. It just seems more real to you, or to me at least, than, uh, than it does to look at the, the photograph of the Wikipedia page about that <laughs> Messier object. Definitely. Yeah, it's really neat being able to observe it in person through such a powerful telescope that we Gosh, wouldn't be yeah. able to just use our own it's really cool yeah it was so cool it makes me really motivated to try to get some more observatory trips in yeah. i think there are a couple more in oregon i think some of them are kind of hard to go to oh really or they just have limited hours yeah. that they yeah. want people from the outside to come but <laughs> it'd be really cool there are some more things i think would be really fun to get to check out yeah we got to make some observatory buddies yeah some cool ones that want us to go <laughs> we're not the public no we're just we're a little bit we want to go you want to like, you know, there's got to be like some option for that. Friends and family style. That'd be cool. <laughs> I don't know. It'll take a long time for that, but uh, we should just get our own telescope. Yeah. Got That'd be a good start. <laughs> yeah. It'd be fun. But yeah, that's about everything that's going on. I think that's most of our story of uh, hanging out, shooting photos for the evening, camping out up at the observatory. It's a fun option to do. I want to try and do it again. and I want to get a good observation night in this weekend, maybe Sunday. And then I want to do definitely some stuff throughout the week to see a lot of these Perseid meteor shower ramp up that we're getting to yeah. for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. That's going to be fun. That's going to be really fun. I'm looking forward to yeah. that. Watching Mars. That'll be fun. Oh, yeah. We've got to check Mars out. Yeah. we should. What like, is it? What day is it that it's next to um, August 8th? Deshuba? August 8th. It's right up next to Deshuba. Monday? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Monday. Payday. Hey. Hey. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah, that'll be really fun to see too. Yeah, I'm excited for that one. It'll be cool. So I think it's about everything. And is that right? You good? I think we talked about everything for the I think uh, so. I think we covered the star stuff for this week. The observatory trip. Yeah, it was cool. Uh, and we got everything else figured out. So yeah, on behalf of Marina Hansen, my name is Billy Newman. And I want to say thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Night Sky Podcast. <laughs>